We thank you for this morning that we can gather together um, in your name, praising you, singing songs to you, uh, doing announcements for you, giving our offerings to you, and hearing your word. I pray that your word uh, just opens our eyes and our hearts to how great you are, that we are able to learn more about you, that you will make us more like you by it. Lord, I pray for myself as I speak that you would be with me this morning, give me wisdom, and protect me from false doctrine. I pray these things in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to James chapter 2, verse 14. And that is where we're going to be camped out, uh, verses 14 to 26. And this morning's message is going to be called, Faith Without Works Is. And I know that's not complete, but we'll get there. Faith Without Works Is. So that's James chapter 2, verse 14, and let's read that together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was complete by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by another way? For as for the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. As we see this morning from the scriptures, James is very bold in what he's saying. He's not holding back as he writes this letter. Um, he repeats twice this statement, faith without works is dead. What I'm not going to do this morning, though, is give you a whole bunch of works that you need to do in order for you to be saved, to add on top of your salvation. Things like taking singing lessons so that for corporate worship we can just sound beautiful. And waking up at 3.30 in the morning so you can do a three-hour Bible study before work. Or... Reading the Bible every day, just so you know it really well. Those, that's not, I'm not going to add that. That's not what James is saying. James cannot and is not talking about adding works to our salvation so that we can be saved. If he was, then the cross of Christ would be useless. Nothing needs to be added to our salvation. When we were away with the youth um, at the retreat the other week, uh, the, the teacher there, Mike uh, Rutledge, he said, the faith that saves us sustains us. 
The same faith that saves us, sustains us. So the fact that we've been saved once, we're always saved. We can't add anything to that salvation. So what Jesus did on the cross was made it so that we can be reconciled to, to God, adopted as sons and daughters, and proclaimed justified in the name of Jesus. If James is saying that now we need to do works on top of that, then we have absolutely nothing. Let's go look at the law of the Old Testament and specifically the Ten Commandments. Um, and we'll see that we just, we just can't keep it. First we see you shall have no other gods before me. Well, we put things in our life before God all the time. So we, we fail that law. You, you see that you shall not make a carved image. Well, we might not have physical images in our house that we worship. There are things that are physical that we do worship. So we fail that one. You might not take, yeah, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this counts even when you're angry. Um, so we fail that one. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We don't find our perfect rest in Christ the way we should. So we fail that one. Honor your father and mother. I don't think I need to, we fail that one. I don't think we need to add to that. Especially when we were kids. You shall not murder. Matthew 5 says that anger and hate, when we hate our brother, it's the same as murder. So we fail that one. You shall not commit adultery. And Matthew 5 again says that lust is the same as committing adultery. So we fail that one. You shall not steal. And this can be anything from taking a piece of gum out of uh, somebody's purse that's not yours. So we fail that one. You shall not covet. Again, we fail. As we work through this, we realize that we scored a zero out of ten. That's not very good. That's, that's awful. And to pass, you need a ten out of ten. It's a hundred percent to pass. And I'm sorry, but God doesn't give us points for participation. He doesn't give us, oh, you got zero, you can try again. No, that's not the way it works. You got zero, that's what we got. So if James is saying that now we need to put works on top of our faith, this is how it's going to go. We can't pass. It's only by Jesus that we have been saved. We can't add anything to it. So what then is James saying? Well, first let's define these two words, faith and works. And so faith I would like to define as trusting God and obeying him. Trusting God and obeying Him. And we see this throughout Scripture from many men and women who trust the Lord and they obey His commands. And for us, we know the commands that we are given is to uh, love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. But we're going to look at that more later. Works. James, I believe, is referring back to James chapter 2, verse 8, which says, You shall love... Sorry. Uh, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So he says that the royal law is loving your neighbor as yourself. But how do we do that? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but people are really hard. We are. We're messed up. All of us are. And I think we can honestly say that there's people we don't like. And there's maybe even people in our own church that we don't like, and we try and sit on the dark side or the light side to avoid them. 
And if you're sitting beside them right now, better luck next week. But we're called to love them. And how do we love them when we're broken, we're hurt, we're messed up, they're broken, they're hurt, they're messed up, and they don't go, we don't go together, we don't want to love them, they're not easy to love, they don't want to be loved by us. How can we do it? And the only way is by the grace of God. As we love God, He will give us a love for people. As we love God, He will give us a love for people. So how do we love them? How, how do we love people? We love the Lord, we seek Him, and He will change our heart so that we love one another. These are the works that James is describing. And Matt Chandler says, works is a life of loving God and loving others. Works is a life of loving God and loving others. So today as we work through this, we're going to see that faith without works is three things. So faith without works is useless. Faith without works is hopeless. And faith without works is dead. So first, faith without works is useless. And let's read James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16 again. And it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you go to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The first imagery he's giving us here is this idea of this brother or sister, somebody inside the church uh, that he's writing to. And they're lacking food and clothing. They don't have food. They don't have clothes. And this doesn't mean they had to go to a Walmart or Salvation Army because they didn't have the money to go and buy the fanciest of things. And it doesn't mean that they're eating grilled cheese because they can't afford steak. What it means is they have nothing. They're naked. They have no food. They're starving. That's the imagery he's he's putting in. There's someone in our body who has no clothes, no food. They're starving. They're helpless. And what, what is the response from the church member? You should really put some pants on and grab some food. But what help is that? That's what he's saying. What help? That doesn't do any good. That's not what they need. They need food. They need clothes. That's why he, James himself says, what good is that? The answer is no good. He doesn't need you to tell him to get dressed and eat. He needs you to clothe and feed him. And when you have real faith and God changes your heart to love other people, you will respond as you are supposed to. Your faith will produce meaningful actions instead of useful idleness. Useless idleness, sorry. James hits the nail right on the head here. And this faith, if your faith doesn't immobilize you to action, then what good is it? God has blessed us with so many good gifts and we are supposed to use them for his glory. We're supposed to use them for his purposes. But if all we're worried about is having bigger homes, bigger cars, more money in our savings accounts so that maybe we can print off a whole bunch of bills and take a bath, then what good is that for the kingdom? God blessed us so that the blessings can throw through us and pass to other people. That's why we're blessed. He blesses us so that they can come in and we can pass them to other people. And this is pretty stark imagery, but we can't be constipated. We can't just have it all stuck. We need to let those blessings pass. And if we don't, it's not good first for those who are in need, 
and secondly, for us who are supposed to be giving. Therefore, faith without works is useless, both for those in need and for us as the givers. Secondly, faith without works is hopeless. It can't save. So let's read verses 17 to 25 again. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? In verse 18, James, as he writes this letter, is anticipating that someone is going to basically come and say, okay, James, you know what? It's great that you have works, but I have faith. That's all I need. He's, he's kind of expecting this to happen. It's almost like he knows this one guy in the congregation that he's writing to that's like, he's going to say that. And so in anticipation for that, he gives four reasons why faith without works is hopeless. And so in the first one, he responds immediately in verse 18, and he says right away, he says, show me your faith apart from your works. How do you do that? I'll give you an example. Yesterday, uh, I was outside. I switched my summer tire or my winter tires to my summer tires. And while I had everything apart, I figured I might as well take the brakes apart and make sure they're all working and clean. And so I got those apart and put everything back together. Who has faith that I did it properly? And some people would say, you know, I got faith. You, You did it properly. Would you be willing to get in the car with me as I go make sure? That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, you say you have faith, but show me. Because if you don't have works, you're not, sh- like, that's the evidence of your faith. If there's no action, then you can't prove it. And so James is saying, how is it that you can prove your faith apart from works? And he's going to point out that you can't. And then in verse 19 to 20, he gives another example. And he reminds him that even the demons, Satan's demons have really good theology. Honestly, they have better theology. They know more about God. They know more about the Bible than we do. And they believe and know that God is real. Uh, they know that Jesus is real. They know what he did on the cross. They know all that stuff, but still, they're not saved. They have no works. And there is a lot of people that know their Bibles really well. We have a lot of theology. We know so much about the Word. We know so much about God. But we're still not saved because we don't have faith. We don't have those works that produce, uh, that are produced from faith. Knowledge is not evidence of faith. You can't use that as, as an argument. 
The third example he gives is Abraham. And this is found in verses uh, 21 to 24. And if you remember, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they couldn't have children. Um, And God promised him in Genesis 15 and again in 17, the covenants with Abraham, that his descendants would be more numerous than the skies, the stars in the sky. And if you remember, his wife Sarah, she tries to take things into her own hands. And uh, Abraham has a son with her handmaiden, Hagar, and their name, his name is Ishmael. But God says, no, this is not the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a son with your wife, Sarah. And it takes a while, but by the time Abraham reaches 100 years old, he has his son, Isaac, the son of this promise. And as we continue to read on, we see in Genesis chapter 22, this story, that the one that James is talking about, where God puts Abraham's faith to the test. And if we remember, Abraham is instructed by God, and so he goes and he takes a couple servants and some donkeys and his son, and they walk for three days to this mountain, and they get there. And once they get to the mountain, he tells his son, uh, so the servants to stay there with the donkeys, and him and the son go up, and with the wood... Uh, with fire, because they didn't have lighters, so you kind of just keep it going. It makes more sense. And uh, with a knife. And that's what they have. And so they head up this mountain, and we need to remember that this is, these are, this is real people. Abraham was a real man. Like, this is him. He's walking up the mountain with his son, the son that God had promised, that he waited, what, 80 70, 80 years for? He's been waiting so long and now his son is with him and he knows that he's going up to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. And he's walking up and as they're going up, we see in uh, Genesis 22, verse 7, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac knows what's going on here. They're walking up. This is real. This has happened. It happened in the past. They're going up the mountain together. And they get to the top. And Abraham has to bind his son. And he ties him to an altar that they've made together. And as he gets ready to sacrifice his son, an angel of the Lord steps in and stops him saying, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have withheld your son your only son from me. Do you see the point James is making here? Abraham demonstrated his faith by doing the one thing that was hardest for him. He took his son, that beloved son that he waited so long to have. And when God said, go sacrifice him, he said, yes, here I am. And he took him and as hard as it was, he went up to the top of the mountain and he was going to do it. But God stopped him and then provided a sacrifice. Abraham is demonstrating by his, by his faith, that, by his works, that he has faith. The fourth example that we see is found in verse 25. And it's the story of Rahab. And for that last example, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but you know what? Abraham, he's definitely a man of faith. I mean, if you're in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, he's in there, like, like, He was a special, special guy. But think about Rahab. I mean, we have songs about Abraham. 
We don't have any songs about Rahab the prostitute. And if you think in our North American society, maybe, I mean, men and women have equal rights here in Canada. Um, in the church here at The Rock, we believe in a complementarian view of men and women in the marriage relationship. So for Rahab, maybe it's not that big of an example, but if you think of the context which James is writing where women are second-class citizens, and even in the courtroom, their accounts aren't worth as much as men. And Rahab is a prostitute. A woman who, above all women, is abused and taken advantage of. You don't just wake up one morning saying, hmm, I think I want to be a prostitute when I grow up. No, it's terrible things, awful things that have happened to you throughout your life that get you to this place. A place where you are just a commodity. In the eyes of society, you are completely worthless. So let's think about this story then of Rahab, the prostitute, in Joshua chapter 2. And we know that Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. And that um, he was... He sent out these spies to the city of Jericho to see what was going on before they went and took it over. And while they were there, the spies were there, the king finds out that there's spies and they want to hunt them down. And they end up, the spies end up in Rahab's house. And Rahab hides them. And when the guard shows up, she tells them that she doesn't know where they are. And then she helps them escape out the window. And the guards would have known who she was. It wouldn't have been a secret. They would have known that they could have taken full advantage of her, abused her. She's putting herself in a very vulnerable situation with what she's doing by protecting these spies. But we're told that she had heard the things of God, the things that the God of Israel had had been doing in Egypt as he brought them uh, out of Egypt and then kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. She knew what God had done and she believed in this God. And that's why, at great risk to herself, she did what she did. She helped save the Israelites. And as a result, her and her family are saved when the walls of Jerusalem, or sorry, of Jericho are destroyed. Um, they're alive. And on top of that, if you look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you realize that she's actually the mother of Boaz. And so she is a descendant in the lineage of Jesus. So this is faith. When it's going to cost her, this could go really bad, but she believes in God above all else and as a result does his work and loves his people. James is not arguing that works can save you. That's not his point with these four examples. On the contrary, he's showing that works are evidence of faith. And if we have no works, then we have no faith and we are hopeless and not saved. That's what he's saying. So finally, let's look at this last verse and see that faith without works is dead. Let's read it again. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And this idea of death, we need to remember that this is something that has no life at all. Like it's dead. It's not just that they don't have outward appearances of faith. It means that inside, there's no life. They're dead inside. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon as he uh, describes this. 
a tree has been planted out into the ground. Now the source of life to that tree is at the root. Whether it hath apples on it or not, the apples would not give it life, but the whole of the life of the tree will come from its root. But if the tree stands in the orchard, and when the springtime comes, there is no bud, and when summer comes, there is no leafing, and the fruit bear, and no fruit bearing, but the next year and the next, it stands there without bud or blossom or leaf or fruit. You should say it is dead, and you are correct. It is dead. It is not that the leaves could have made it alive, but the absence of the leaves that prove that it is dead. So too it is with the professor. And that's talking about someone who affirms that they have faith. That's what the professor means. If he hath, if he hath life, that life must give fruit. If not fruit, works. If his faith has, no, has a root, but there is no works, then depend upon it, upon it the inference that he is spiritually dead and certainly is certainly a correct one. What James is arguing here is that faith without works is not faith at all. In Spurgeon's argument, he's saying that there's this tree with fruit and leaves and this tree's not producing fruit and leaves. And he's saying that, you know what? If it did produce fruit and leaves, that doesn't mean the tree it makes the tree alive. It's not the fruit or the leaves that make the tree alive. The fruit and the leaves are evidence that the tree is alive. And we need to be careful that we're not trying to use outward appearances to produce faith inside. It doesn't work that way. Some people think that if they read their Bibles and pray and serve in the church and do all this, then they can produce life inside of them. But that's backwards. Serving God does not make us love Him more. Instead, it is loving God that makes him, us serve him more. And, and I don't know why we imply this with God, because we don't think about this with other things. I mean, um, all of us here either have a spouse or kids or we have parents. And why do you do things for them? Why do you do things for your spouse or for your kids or for your parents? Why do you do the dishes or mow the lawn or pick up toys or maybe drive your parents to an appointment? Why do you do that? Is it because you want to love them more? No, it's because you love them that you do those things. Those works come as a response for love, out of love. I don't go and go, you know what, my wife Emily, I don't say, you know what, Emily, I'm going to do the dishes so that I love you. No, it's I love you, so I'm going to do the dishes. It's, it's not that other way around. It's the same thing with God. In our relationship with Him, we don't go to God and say, I'm serving you in the church so that I love you more. That's backwards. It doesn't make any sense. When we love God, it will cause us to love other people. It will cause us to do those works. So instead, we have faith, we love God, and works will be produced. And those works are loving others. And I want to make sure that I'm clear on something, though. If you're looking at your life right now and thinking, you know what, I don't love people perfectly. So, you know what, I, I don't love God enough, and I don't have faith, you've missed the point. Yes, it is by God's working in your heart that you love others. That's what the faith, that's what faith will do. It'll make you do works of loving others. 
but you're not going to do it perfectly. Look back at your week. Who loved everybody perfectly? And if there's anybody's hands up, then you probably fit into that lying category we talked about at the beginning. What we have, though, when we look back in our life, the things that have happened, is we have this process that has happened over time. When we look back weeks, months, years, even decades, we see how God is slowly changing our hearts. Like little bit by little bit, so that we love other people. So then, that's exactly what James was talking about. Over time, over our life, as we love God, he will slowly change us to love others. Those are the works that give evidence of faith. And if you're here today and you're looking and you're like, you know what, I see that. I see that in my life. I see when I look back 10 years, you know, I love people way more than I used to. I used to be so hard, but you know, I'm, I'm more generous. I'm more giving. I, I care. That's evidence of salvation. That's evidence of God working in your heart. You have faith. You're saved. But if you look back at your life and you seriously look and you know what? I don't love God. And I have no love for other people at all then what James is saying is you have no faith. Like the tree, you are dead. But know this, God has made a way for you to become alive. Though you do not love God, he loves you, and he loves you so much that he sent his son to come and die on a cross to pay the punishment for your sin as the perfect sacrifice, to rise again victorious, defeating sin so that you can be saved, so that you can love God. So that you can have faith. And when you truly believe this, when you truly have this faith, then you will love God and he will make you love other people. And your faith is not dead. So as we conclude today, when you hear, read this passage, we see those three things. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is hopeless. It can't save. And faith without works is dead. These works do not save you, but they're evidence of salvation inside of you. And if you're here today and you see that evidence in your life, praise God. That's awesome. And I pray that you would continue to be changed by God, that you would continue to love him more, and he would continue to change you to love others more. But if you're here today and you don't love God, you don't love people let me, let me remind you that it's not too late. Jesus has initiated this love relationship by dying for you on the cross. Believe in him, love God, and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Our God and Father, when we look at our life, we realize just how sinful we are. That we do not keep up to your holy standards to love you and to love others. But Lord, I thank you that by faith you have given us a love for you and that you are changing us to love other people. Lord, let us love others the way that you love them. Allow us not to be useless Christians, hopeless Christians, and dead. Make us like you. I pray this in your name. Amen.